0: to another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're talking with Suzanne Brunemer, who is the president of Man Tool & Supply here in West Columbia. This is a great episode because we talk about family and business and family business. We also talk about how she's managed to have a business that thrives in a world of big box stores and sort of in personal service. She does it different, and I can't wait for you to hear more next on Footnotes. Well, Suzanne, thank you for having us here at Man Tool & Supply. We're Susan Brunemer, who's the president of Man Tool & Supply here in West Columbia. And we're actually sitting in one of your classrooms that I think we'll talk about in a little bit. But why don't we just start sort of at the beginning? You're a, a multi-generational company. We are. Um, how did you get to where you are now?
1: Just through a progression of uh, career changes within the same company. So uh, I started counting parts. Uh, before i was you know old enough to draw a paycheck and um i started drawing a paycheck when i was 15 wow i think minimum wage then was around 3.13 an hour <laughs> yeah okay so um in the interim uh i worked summers and holidays while i was in school i went to usc to be a a um a band director hmm. and uh I still continued to work my summers and holidays. After a couple of years, I just realized that uh, education was not my was not my calling, at least not at that time. And uh, I, I came back into the business. I ended up finishing my first degree at Midlands Tech and uh, coming in here full time. And uh, that was around 1992 desktop computers had just become a thing. I really got my start in desktop publishing, producing flyers and promotions uh, for the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually that next generation is, is kind of tasked with technology. So some other things that rolled up under my um, responsibilities, IT, um, implementing whatever, you know, ERP softwares we wanted to go with. Uh, still on... Mm-hmm on the marketing side. Back then we used newspaper, a little bit of radio, a little bit of TV. So all the traditional marketing tools through the, um, through the nineties and all, um, basically I just did what needed to be done. I think that's kind of what, kind of what happens in a small business, even, uh, even if it's not a family business, but my dad and my uncle just kind of allowed me to, find my way, find um, kind of my place here. There's nothing here I have not done. There's no role I haven't filled with the exception of fixing tools. Nobody wants me in the in the repair shop. So I'm pretty good at demolition, but I'm definitely not good at uh, putting things back together. So um, in 2012, um, a series of sad events, um, my uncle that worked in the business passed away And my dad decided, hey, let's get, you know, let's get prepared for the future. So um, in 2012, I became the president um, and the majority stockholder. My dad stayed on and um, I just continued to be the primary decision maker with him kind of tapering off. He never really retired, but uh, he passed away in 2018. He was in the store the day before he, you know, the day before he died. And we worked side by side every day for, you know, 30 plus years.
0: What generation are you in the business?
1: I'm the third generation.
0: So what's it like, you know, your third generation is sort of the, the like you said, the, the family business. But what is what is it really like to combine family and all that happens in a family with A paycheck.
1: Oh wow, there's a lot to that. I think um I think probably one of the one of the hardest things within family business can be sort of a competition between, you know, competing generations. But if you study it sociologically, the father daughter dynamic is very different from a father son dynamic. And we had a um My dad and I had a very collaborative, almost nurturing relationship in business. Now, I will say the pay is not wonderful. I will say that (laughs) the hours are long. Um, Anybody who's owned a business, runs a business, knows that you might be sweeping, you might be be accounting one day and selling the next or all in the same day. Um, So the wearing of many hats, I think is a little more intense in a small family business. But um, the dynamic has been great for me. I still have a cousin who works in the business and my husband works with me. So um, that's, you know, that's another, you know, dynamic that uh, can change the, (laughs) kind of change the face of a family business. And um, I think the, probably the hardest thing is separating it For me, it's all one thing. Mm. So my husband works in the business. My father worked in the business. My grandfather worked in the business. Um, Home, family, business. For me as a woman, it's all the same thing. It's very hard for me to separate this building. This facility is my home. Mm. You know, I consider this my home. Um, The people who work here with me, the, the ones that aren't related are still... They're still my family. I joke sometimes that it's like raising nine kids, but they look out for me too. So I just think that there's a there's a bond and there are some unspoken benefits that come from working in a familial type business. business. And you may experience this. I know that yours is not technically an all-family business, but I can tell from talking to you that you... You treat it like a family, that it, it feels like family, like home to you. And I think that's what it is for me.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, I think we do, um, but like family, everything's not perfect. Um, and sometimes you have to work things out, just like in a family, and we're solving problems for clients and helping each other, you know, get better. Also, um, you've got business, you, you, you've got family. But then you've you've got this the, sort of the business of the business this this competitive field that you're in where you guys sell power tools um, amongst other things, and you know you and I discussed you know in the conversation to set this up that of course there's lots of places where a person who needs a power tool can can buy them, and I think a lot of people are familiar with sort of large home stores and and kind of big box, if you will, but you guys are not that. You've also not been that for three generations. Yeah. Talk to us about how, in the world, a business like this survives. in I mean, you're in a large metro area, also, so so the the competitors are literally surround this store. That's true. How are you still standing?
1: Um, grace of God. Some days is <laughs> yeah. is is what I you know what I chalk that up to. Um. We we run this business with principle. We treat people the way we want to be treated. Um, I think sometimes we're kind of like the Cheers of of tool stores because you know it's it's not unusual. Um, I just came in from the showroom and people are throwing up their hands and calling one another by first name between the uh, the staff and the employees and the between the staff and the customers. Um, so it it has a kind of a, a folksy, relaxed feel when you come in the store. But what I think truly sets us apart is we want to educate you. We want to make sure that, you know, it doesn't do us any good to sell you something you can't use or sell you something that's not going to help you get your job done. And especially for the customers that are, are small contractors, they make their living one, two people out there doing a little bit of everything. So they, they need to work as efficiently as possible. And I don't need them coming back and saying, this didn't do the job. I don't need them coming back and saying, you know, I got to the job with a drill, but I didn't have a drill bit. And if we're not, you know, if we're not having those conversations and making sure that the customer is, uh, is leaving with enough knowledge, enough of our knowledge to have everything they need to do their job, and to do it well, um, then you know, then we we haven't done our job. And I think that's what sets us apart: is imparting that knowledge, is giving them a so- little something extra. Are you familiar with the word "lanyap"? I don't use it very often, but it really means a little something extra. And our little something extras, we care. We want we want you to be happy and satisfied. And um, if if we have any part in how you feel when you look at your finished project. And it's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then that's. I mean, I really think that's the, the best outcome uh, for us as a as a distributor is to is to have some impact beyond just putting just putting a tool in your hands. Sure. Um,
0: fun fact: You're the second guest on Footnotes who's used the word lanyap. <laughs> uh The first time it was used was Emil D. Felice, uh, who um, started Soda City Market. Uh, among other things, he he used that word and he explained it almost the same way that you did. Where it is sort of that unexpected extra that um, is nice, you know, that people say, "Oh, I, I certainly wasn't expecting it, but not only did I get something from it, but it, it makes me remember that experience and and put a, a higher value than just the the dollars and cents." Um, I will say, and not not to be a skeptic, Suzanne, but a lot of a lot of companies are saying that. You're saying it, and you guys are doing some things, but but talk to us a little more about who sort of your people are. Who who are the customers that come into a store like this, knowing that there are other ways to acquire these tools?
1: Well, I, we serve we serve multiple markets um, from the general contractor down through hobbyists, and we call our hobbyists professional hobbyists, okay. serious hobbyists. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily need the grade of of equipment and uh, even hand tools that we sell, but you might want it. Um, it uh, goes back to that thing of satisfaction. And You buy something cheap in your kitchen. It's no different than buying something cheap for your, for your garage or your shop. So that professional hobbyist, professional do-it-yourselfer, small subcontractors, who really need a wide array of products to 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 get their jobs done because they may be fabricating, installing, repairing, renovating, all of those things kind of in one job. And we want to be able to uh, supply that person with as many things, you know, get them as close to a solution as they can possibly get under one roof. I think that's really our bread and butter. And then um, we have a very strong relationship inside the institutional. We love serving um, the carpentry and building trades programs in our public schools and in the Department of Corrections. So you can kind of see where it it runs the gamut. And you may have somebody doing the same thing in their garage as somebody else is doing out on the job site, as somebody is doing in a classroom. And we want to just prepare them all as well as we possibly can to, to do what they do.
0: So that's a good transition. And even though you know we video this this podcast, if you're listening um, just just to the audio, you're not going to be able to see this. But we are sitting in a classroom. Yes, you, you've built a classroom here at at your store. Um, talk to us about the classroom. Why did you do it, and what? How has that helped you guys build more of a community?
1: Well, that's. Um, the community aspect is certain, some, certainly something that we wanted to foster. When we moved in this building in 2001, we were already hosting two uh, local interest clubs. One of them is the Columbia Woodworkers and the other is the Palmetto Woodturners. In our previous facility, we didn't really have a dedicated space for people to people to meet or for us to bring in a demonstrator or that sort of thing. We just kind of had to make do with the space that we had inside the store. So when we got here, we knew that was one thing that we wanted to provide was a dedicated space for the Columbia woodworkers to be able to bring in their demonstrators and serve their membership um, by fostering woodwork in the community. And the Palmetto Woodturners, the same thing in turning Um, to be able to bring in, uh, and these folks bring in regional, national, and uh, even international demonstrators to really promote their craft in our community. So that's one piece of that community. But we also wanted to be able to do something kind of from the inside out, so we started bringing in instructors. It it started out very simply. Now we have uh, four people on staff that can teach, we bring in outside instructors uh, and it's really just about bringing in people and getting them, you know, getting them started. Our most popular classes to this day continue to be on the beginner level. So we're bringing in people who are maybe brand new to tools, brand new to um, woodworking or crafting, building, making, uh, whatever term you want to put on that. And uh, some of those folks get so excited, so turned on that, you know, they end up with a lifelong hobby. Mm. Um some people consider it very therapeutic. Some people treat it like a date night. Um, those are all things that we're very proud and excited to provide those opportunities inside the community. And to be able to, you know, still be greeting somebody 10 years down the road that, that started their passion in our classroom. I mean, what more could you what more could you want than to have that that ongoing long term conversation uh, for somebody who who found something they were they were that interested in to to still be doing it years later?
0: Well, and to not to put words in your mouth, but to listen to you describe why you have the classroom and what it what it means to man Tool it does seem like you're growing your family. You talked about kind of this work family that you have, but now you've grown this family in the community. But I think one thing that I find is really interesting is like you said, these are for beginners. I think people might go a place like this and think, well, if I'm not a pro or, you know, I don't have a, a wood shop full of tools, like why would I ever go in there? But I think you've, it seems like a smart business decision also.
1: Well, it can, you know, frankly be a lead generator. Um, and we do try to um, include the prof- professional as well as the beginner, um, so that they can kind of take it to the next level. Because you know, once you start, once you start doing anything, and I don't care if it's fishing, I don't care if it's wood turning, you know, whatever it may be, there's going to come a point to where this boat is not enough to meet my needs. Yeah. <laughs> um, this. A particular piece of equipment is not enough to meet my needs. So people continue to uh, kind of graduate, uh, hone their skills, broaden their uh, their repertoire, so to speak, where they're they're layering multiple disciplines within the woodworking umbrella together. And we have to be able to, you know, kind of help them along on that journey. And for the, you know, for the professional. I find that our I, I hear our staff talking to people all the time who are working, who are earning a living out in the community building and making. And we're still giving um, timely and relevant information to professionals because of the way our staff is educated. You know, we're very invested in, in training. Our buying co-op provides all these opportunities and our staff takes advantage of those. So yes, at the beginner level, we're able to provide that, but also, um, on the professional level. And it is very hard to bridge that gap to help people understand that we are here for the public. We are here for the community, not just construction or, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, start to finish, all you know, all skill levels in between.
0: Well, and, and again, not to, <clears throat> I think we've kind of gotten a little crazy these days with gender and just being so so obsessed with things being gender specific or not. But I have seen where you, you offer classes that are more women focused. In other words, it might be all women in the class. And of course, it's a woman owned business. Is that on purpose or has it just happened that way or?
1: It's uh, it's probably a combination of things. Um, our friend Anna, mm-hmm. of course, she certainly uh, pushed me to provide a, you know, kind of a more friendly space for females and for her to help promote that. Um, it's probably both. I, I, t- I take so much for granted because I've always known how to read a tape measure. I've always known how to put a saw blade on a saw. You know, these are things that I don't necessarily think about. So I take a lot of encouragement from other women in business in our community, other women in business through my industry, which is 90%, <laughs> 90% male. So, if, you know, you want to talk about... a. Uh, you know, a, a male-dominated industry. It, it, and I was brought up that way. So I'll joke with people, i say I was socialized as a man. <laughs> so sometimes it's kind of harder for me to relate and to to bring about uh, these opportunities for women to come in and um, to have a place where they feel welcome. To have Because I don't necessarily think about that way because I have always worked. I've always been one, you know, one woman with nine male coworkers, and, you know, part of that 10 percent in the, the power tool uh, and faster industry that's uh, that's women. So it's it's grown out of a lot of things. And part of it's my personal growth hmm. to find ways to um, to promote women oriented events in the community, to promote women in trades um, and there's so much attention on this right now on social media, on the media in general, sure. uh, in the media in general that uh, um, we know we know better than to to ignore that. Mm-hmm. And there are so many women makers just in Columbia. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just really amazing. So it only makes sense that we try to um, to try to help foster that, to try to help women. Uh, make that leap to gain their confidence to, you know, because confidence is probably the biggest thing. Walking into this classroom, even for me to this day, is intimidating. I didn't grow up making. <laughs> um, that's something that's kind of new for me.
0: Well, and I hope that's encouraging to people that are listening to this. I mean, you, you literally own the place and you say it's intimidating to, to walk in, but, but you do it anyway. And I, I like the way you I like the way you describe this educational piece, that it really is about the education. It's about showing people something they did not know how to do, and then they leave knowing how to do it. And while that might be smart, smart business, I think the business is sort of in spite of the education. And I mean, I think from the outside, that, that sounds like a very conscious choice that in in your ownership and your guiding of the company that that you you've pressed forward in that direction.
1: Absolutely. Because we um from a business standpoint it's not a separate operation with a separate name uh, right. or anything like that, but we do kind of treat it that way. Hmm. And we try to we try to make it as easy as possible for people to have access um whether it be access to the equipment, whether it's ADA related access, just to make sure that as many people as possible are able to, you know, to come in and have this experience.
0: What what is it about? I mean, not to get overly philosophical, but what is it about making something that lights people up? What do you think that is?
1: Oh gosh, it's that, you know, you start with this clunk of wood. It's ugly, you know, could be ugly. Mm. Then you get about halfway through and it's like, oh, something's happening here. Mm. Then you put a finish on it and it's shining and it's like, I just made that. I made that. Mm. Um, it's the it's the same thing um, if you bake a cake or you paint your bathroom or, you know, everybody has a first time for everything. You know, we don't all come into this world knowing Um, or even being comfortable trying things, but it's that end result. That is all it is. It is that satisfaction that comes with going, these two hands, this mind, and a little bit of stuff turned out something beautiful. That's
0: really, yeah. I was hoping you'd say something like that. You know? (laughs) That's kind of the fun of, inter- of an interview is that, you know, not, not everything is script. In fact, none of this is script. Um, and you ask questions and you're just not sure what, what's going to come back. But I think that, you know, you describing how you, you make something. You know, it was this, like you said, just a clunk of wood, a couple of tools, some know-how, some trial and error, you know, and all of a sudden it's just transformed into something not only that's beautiful, but also useful. You know, and and I think the pride that comes with that, I think it helps to build confidence. My slight editorial is I think there is just a crisis of confidence in general in our society. You know, we're we're so um, unconfident in a lot of areas. And as much as I want to chase that rabbit, I'm not going to do that. But um, Suzanne, how do people—so I hope that people are listening to this and they're intrigued by this story— how do they find out about classes? How do they find out about Man Tool? What's the What's the best place for them to to kind of walk in the door, so to
1: speak? Well, you know, ideally, we want them to walk in the front door. <laughs> okay. I mean, there is that. You know, we try to prepare a shock and awe um, mm-hmm. effect when you walk in the door from a visual standpoint, and just kind of like light, color and power tools you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty awesome but um the easiest way to find us now is online okay we have a website it's mantools.com and on that page um, you can see our products you can see our class offering you can register um, and there's a lot of history on there so mm-hmm. in the about us section it kind of tells our you know tells our story about who we are but but yeah our website's probably the the easiest first step. And we hope that that experience makes you want to know more because like I say, ideally, uh, you need to just come see it.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to film here. Uh, This is a neat and and just visually interesting place. And thanks for just sharing this story. I hope a lot of people listen to it and that they're inspired by it. And And I hope that they'll sign up for classes and just come and check you guys out over here in West Columbia.
1: Well, I sure appreciate you coming in, John. All right. Thank you. Thank you.